So I want to read this again. Uh, I know I read it two weeks ago, and we're going to talk about what it means to love because he describes it here. So we're going to start in Romans 12, verse 9. And so open your Bible and read this with me. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now listen to this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the world today has... Uh, I forgot, I forgot my... Um, I forgot the, uh, the clicker. Yeah, I'm sorry. So while he's bringing that up here, the world today has never talked so much about love. You hear it all the time, right? I've never talked so much about it, but never known less about what it really is, right? See, there's a lot of talk about it, but there's not a lot of knowledge about it. Thank you, Brother Gary. appreciate that. Um, and I just, I didn't even know that I'd forgotten until I got ready to actually push the button. Isn't that something? Uh, but I'm focused on the word, right? How about you? Okay. I mean... People are looking, sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay. Uh, going to all kinds of crazy, crazy places. Trying to find love, trying to find significance. Most of what the world thinks is love is just something that makes them feel the way they want to feel about themselves. It's a very selfish thing. And they might say they love someone, but the only reason they say that is a lot of times it's lust, which is something that to be consumed selfishly by your own selfish desires, or it's I love you, or it's a feeling that they feel because they like the way you make them feel about themselves. It has nothing really to do with you other than that. That's not biblical love, right? So Paul isn't going on here to just try to tell us what is love. Instead, what he does is he describes what it means to love. So in telling us just what is love, this is what love does. Now there's a lot, it's like going in Proverbs. You know Proverbs, you got those little one-liners, boom, 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 boom. You read a chapter in Proverbs, your head's spinning like there's so much here. 
Each one line is like something. So I want to break this down, and I want to go through it, because the reason why so many people have failed to realize and to, to know what love is, you realize that there's most people out there, even in this great land in which we live, that they've lived their whole lives, and they've never really experienced real love. They didn't have it from their parents. They may have had affection, but they didn't really have this, God's love. They've lived their whole lives. They've looked for it in relationships. They've looked for it in their identity. They've looked for it wherever. They've never found it. Some people may then finally hear about God and they go, they just go far enough to actually seek Him. And they might wander into one of our Bible studies or into worship service. And it could be, it could be for the first time in their life, listen to me, that they encounter God's love coming through us. This is powerful, folks. This is it. This, listen, I'm telling you, this is more powerful than anything the whole world of darkness has to throw against it. It is the most powerful thing, the love of God. In fact, listen, remember, God is not just the author of love. The Bible declares he is love. That you don't really find true love unless you find it in him. He's the one that created you. He's the one that loves you. You'll never find who you are. You'll never find your own identity. You'll never understand yourself. You'll never be able to love yourself until you know his love. Let's go to the scripture. One of the first verses I have on the notes there is 1 John 4, 8, where John tells us anyone who does not love does not know God because God is not. He didn't say God has love. God gives love. He said this. Listen, God is Love. God is love. And so once we commit ourselves to him and once we receive his love, that's what John 3.16 is all about, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not have to perish but have everlasting life. And that's why Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? That's what he came for. Uh, once we receive that love, once we receive what Jesus did on the cross for us, once we are saved, we put our faith in him, we receive the gift of his love, which also involves eternal life starting now. Hmm? It's not just that I'm going to have eternal life when I die. I have it starting now and life more abundant. Somebody ought to say amen. Okay, thank you. Uh, don't let me have to coerce it. But once we commit ourselves to God, the grace of God begins to communicate the love of God into our hearts and to help us love where it was impossible for us to love before. This is a miracle of God. This is a, a, a living, breathing miracle that's happening all over the place as his love begins to fill us up and spill over onto one another. This is the kind of love that husband and wives ought to have for each other. This is the kind of love that we ought to have in our families. This is the kind of love that we ought to have for our neighbors. This is even the kind of love we ought to have for our enemies. There is nothing the enemy's got whenever this happens. This is overpowering. It's like light always overpowers darkness. Darkness doesn't overpower light, correct? If that room was dark and we opened the door, darkness wouldn't spill in here. Light would spill into there. Get that down. The light overpowers. Why are we going around feeling like we're overpowered all the time? 
It's probably because we're relying on the flesh and not the Spirit. The very first fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 is what? Love. Next one's joy. How many of us could use a little bit of that? Because there's a lot of times just naturally I don't have love and I don't have joy. And I don't have peace. I can keep going. But it's good to know that it's a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is what God himself produces in my life. And it's not an emotion. It's a fruit. It's an attribute. And so God wants to produce this in our life because now that I have the love of God in my heart, I can now love others. Why? Why? Because he first loved me. Watch this. Let's go on two more verses down. 1 John 4.10. He says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That word means like the atonement covering, the covering for our sins. So it's not that we first loved God. He first loved us, and he didn't just talk it. He didn't just say it. He proved it when he sent his son to die on the cross. I want to tell you, you are loved. If we could even really see a real picture of what it looked like Jesus dying on the cross, it would be a graphic picture of the fact of how much God loves you and what he was willing, the ends that he was willing to go to to show you his love and to pay for your sin. So if you remember, as we look at this passage now in Romans 12, um, and I want to I unpack it. I believe every single word in its original form is inspired by God, down to the very choice of words that Paul wrote. I believe the Holy Spirit influenced that and moved him so that every word is inspired. I want to unpack those words. No translation may be absolutely perfect, but in its original form, it was perfect. And I want to look at that. And there are things as, as in the Greek that I took, I'm not, I didn't get too far in it. But, but far enough to know that it's, it's, it's a very detailed language. And I can see why God chose it for the language of the New Testament. Uh, because it's so detailed. And I want to I take a look at that. And there are Greek participles, which I always struggled with when I was learning this stuff. Uh, and, uh, but there are like, there, I think there are like um, 12 participles that are used here to describe love. He starts out saying, let love be real, okay? And then there's like all these participles. And that's what these verses are all about. And so I just want to unpack those. Because remember, we looked in this chapter. The very first verse of this chapter starts off with our presenting our body to be living sacrifices, right? We present ourselves to God and as living sacrifices. And then one of the things that happens is, is we're not conformed to this world, but we allow Him in His presence to transform us and transform our minds. Our minds are renewed. The way we think begins to change. And one of the first things he mentions after that is our attitude even about ourselves. Is that we're humbling ourselves. Not thinking too highly of ourselves. We're realizing that now we're part of a body. That's one of Paul's favorite ways to illustrate the called out. The church is the body of Christ. That is, Christ is the head. We're the body. We're all connected to Jesus. But it also means we're connected to each other, whether you want to be or not. You are. We're connected to each other. And all of us have a function. All of us are equally valuable. And so he starts talking about that we are one body, even though we're many members. And one of the ways that this love comes out and the ways that we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice is the love of God flows through us. And we, we use that. As we obey him 
in the spiritual gifts that he's given us within that body, and it's all for building up the body, building everybody else up, not tearing down, okay? All fueled by love. So this is what Paul is explaining here, what it means to love. And you know what? You might be saying, I know, love is risky. I've tried to love each other with this kind of love, which is sacrificial love, and I got burned. Well, I want to tell you that love is risky. But not nearly as risky as not loving. C.S. Lewis, aren't you glad God gave us C.S. Lewis? And those Narnia books and just all of his writings and... And, and I still love reading C.S. Lewis. He perhaps said this best. I'm going to quote him. Are you ready? C.S. Lewis said this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must uh, give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. He goes on to say, the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. End quote. Very well said. All right, so I want to take verse 9, and I want to go through it. Verse 9, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Are you ready to go? Let's jump in there. So first of all, in describing love, Number one, love is controlled by God's standards. It is controlled by God's standards. Let it be genuine. The word there is a word that means without hypocrisy. It comes from the same root as the word for hypocrites, hypocrisy. And that was a word that was often used for the play actors in the theater of those days where they played different parts and they held masks in front of them. And so basically what he's saying, let, take the mask off. Let love be genuine, not fake. Let it be real. This, and the word for love here is the Greek word agape. I mentioned that two weeks ago. You've heard of agape, agape love. So in our English language, there's one word for love, and it's love. Okay, But there are, at least, there are several words from the Greek that are all translated by our one word, love. And that's why sometimes some of us are called to dig this out and to show the different shades of this and, and depths of this. So this word agape, you don't find it in classic Greek literature very much. In fact, in the early days of translating into our language, there were some scholars thought this was a special word coined by the Holy Spirit to describe God's love, which is unique. Well, the fact is we found evidence that it was around, but it wasn't popular in Greek or Roman culture. Why? Because this love is all about sacrifice. It's about devotion. It's about putting others ahead of yourself, being unselfish. That wasn't popular in their culture. In fact, if you were sacrificing and putting others ahead of yourself, they viewed it as a weakness. Does that sound familiar? It's almost where we are today. But this is the true love of God. God so loved that he what? Gave. See, that's agape love. Please understand that. And so this true love is God's love, unselfish, sacrificial, unconditional. That means I love you no matter what you do 
what you say. Now, that's tough for us. But you need to understand that is God's love. That's the way he is, and he wants to help us have that love in us. It's also a love that is discerning because he says, abhor what's evil, cling to what is good. Now, to abhor, I don't say that word. I think I'm going to start using that word. I abhor that. Doesn't that sound cool? Well, the word literally means, it's a strong word. It means to, to, to hate what's evil. It means to desire to get away from it. Whew! You know, that stinks. I got to get away from it. It does. That's not really what the word means, but I just think it's a good illustration. If something stinks really bad, do you want to keep hanging around? Yeah, boy, that's horrible. I think it's going, I think I'm getting sick. Yeah, you know, you want to get away from it. What is evil stinks. And you should desire to get away from it. One of the best ways to get away from evil is to cling. And the word cling means to be like glued to what is good. So instead of me going around all the time trying to avoid evil, what I need to do is just glue myself to what is good. And if I'm gluing myself to what is good, it's going to help me stay away from what is evil. But I should abhor it anyway and not want any part of it because it's destructive and nasty. So verse 9 This kind of love, he describes it as being controlled by God's standards. It's God's kind of love like this. It's pure. It's holy. Then secondly, verse 10. Verse 10, he says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love is, secondly, careful about the feelings of others. Careful about the feelings of others. Love one another. Now, there are different words used here. There are, in fact, two different Greek words to describe love. The word love there isn't agape. It's the word philos. And um, philos means to be kindly affectionate. So he's covering it all. You've got agape and you've also got philos, which is an affection. It's a tender affection. It's like a parent would feel for their kid naturally. You just have an affection, uh, a natural love. And so he says that you need to have that. And then the other word is translated here in the ESV as brotherly affection. So, he's, so it's the word Philadelphia. Actually, it is. And Philadelphia is this. It is a combination of philos and aldelphos, which means brother. And it literally means brotherly love. So he says you need to love each other with brotherly love because you're family. You need to not only have this sacrificial, unconditional love. You need to have an affection, a tender affection for each other and for your brothers and sisters. Because you're family. Family love. We're family. Okay. Not a suggestion. It's kind of like a command, okay? I'm going to need his help right here, okay? Yeah, I'm the only one, looks like. Okay, Lord, help me. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, the word honor there, uh, the word honor. Sorry, I skipped. Oh, man. Hold on here. Uh, Honor. Honor indicates price or value. And so basically he says, prefer one another, put one another ahead of yourself. Try to outdo, be all excited about honoring each other. That is showing each other how much you're worth. Honor has to do with value. So love is careful uh, about the feelings of others. We're loving one another. Then verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve or serving the Lord. So the next way he describes love is love is committed to the service of the Lord. This love is committed to the service of the Lord. It is out of love that we serve. Not, listen, not just like out of duty. 
mean, you might do things because it's your duty, but you just go through the motions to get it done. But when you're doing something because of love, right, it's a whole nother level. It's just like if there are duties that you feel like you need to take care of as a husband or a wife, you may go through the motions, but it's nothing like somebody who's madly in love. They'll do crazy, crazy things, you know? They, don't, they forget to eat. They don't remember to sleep because they're in love, right? It's amazing. But this is what he's talking about. I mean, this is what motivates us in serving God. I'm not just doing my duty. I'm motivated. So am I serving him? And because I serve him, guess what that's going to involve? I'm serving others. So here's one way, watch it, that I'm serving him is I'm serving you. Remember when Jesus knelt down there and washed the disciples' feet when they were all arguing over who's going to be the greatest? What a lesson! So one of the big ways I serve him is by serving you. So am I serving you out of passion and love for him, or am I just doing my duty? See, his love coming in, if, if I'm just doing my duty, I need to be reconnected with him and his love in my life. So he says, he says here, he says, um, do not be slothful in in this in zeal. So God is the focus of this love and serving out of that. But this, this whole thing, if, if, if I don't have that, I'm going to be lazy. So he says, don't be lazy in, in zeal here. Well, funny thing is, is that this is actually a word we've looked at before in the Greek, spude. And we get our English word speed from it. But it means to be thorough. It means to be uh, diligent. If you're reading the old King James, it says not to be slothful in business. Well, that's kind of tricky now because words have changed over the hundreds of years. And when you think of business now, you're thinking of your job or something like that. But even that, take that word back to busyness. That's what the word business is, right? Don't be, be, don't be slothful in your busyness. In other words, you're going to be busy. Don't be lazy. Be busy. Be diligent in doing stuff for God, fervent in spirit. Now, the funny thing is, is that word translated fervent is the actual Greek word we get our word zeal from. And it means to be boiling over. It means to be quick to respond, not uh, dragging your feet, boiling over, zealous, passionate. So this is what he's saying. And being this kind of love is committed to the service of the Lord because this, this love, it motivates us to be excited and to be packed. Now, we all... Different ones of us with different personalities show that maybe a little differently, but we are motivated beyond ourselves because of this love to serve and not be lazy. So he says, do all of this, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So this is, this is where it comes from. This is where, where that, you know, uh, it's not just duty here again. It is this love motivate. It's our motive. The next verse, verse 12, see what I mean? There's just a lot here. I'm just trying to unpack Paul, just boom, boom, boom. So he says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is another description of love. Are you ready for it? It is confident in the power and the plan of God. Because this love is working in my life, it gives me confidence. That's why he says rejoice in hope. If I hope in something, it's because I haven't received it all yet. If I've already received it, I don't have to hope for it. 
but I haven't received it yet, but I have confidence because of the love of God in my life and my relationship with him. And it causes me not only to have hope. By the way, hope here in the Bible doesn't mean wishful thinking. The word hope here means a confident, joyful anticipation. I haven't got it yet, but I'm anticipating it. It's the real deal. It's a sure thing. And it's so sure and it's so awesome that even though I'm going through hard times right now, I can go ahead and I can rejoice. Now, the way I look at the word rejoice is that you have joy that comes out. So you rejoice, huh? I don't know. That works for me. I don't know if it works for you or not. But without hope, we can never survive. Did you know that hope is a companion to love? Love, hope, and faith, right? Faith, hope, love. You see Paul putting these three things together so many places. This is one of them. Because that rejoicing in hope that we have and patient in tribulation. The staying power of love. It's patient. It, the word patient there is hupomeno. And it means to bear up under, to abide under. It's a picture of abiding up under the load. It doesn't give up. It endures. It hangs in there. It keeps the faith. And here we have faith, hope, and love already. It continues to trust, continues to serve. And part of the whole reason why is the next thing he says is constant in prayer, to be steadfast in our prayer. And that's what assures the flow of God's love through our service and through our lives. One of the reasons the Lord may allow us to even go through tribulations is to drive us closer to himself and show us new Depths of his love and his power and our hope increases and our strength increases as we're connected to him. And so prayer, if you're not feeling these things, maybe that's where we're short circuiting. We're not continuing in prayer because we are going to be confident in the power and the plan of God. That's one of the descriptions of the love that he has that's genuine and the real deal inside of us. Next verse. Are you ready for it? Verse 13 Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This love is also concerned for the needs of others. This is quite an outline, by the way. And some of it I borrowed, and I put this together over years, and I've dug a bunch of it up, and I'm just cramming it right in here, okay? So I hope you don't gag on it. That's why I said this is one of those messages. I hope you can take down some notes and pull up our notes and then meditate on it later on and apply it to your life. It is concerned for the needs of others. That's what he's talking about here when he's talking about uh, contributing, verse 13, to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Um, wow. This love flows outward. It's not just about me feeling loved. It fills me up and it flows outward. Do you see that in verse 13? That I'm going to contribute. There's fellowship in giving. giving. The, the, the word for contributing, by the way, is the same word in the Greek as the word fellowship or communion. It's the word that the root word is koinonia. It means to share together. That we're to share together. There's a fellowship in giving. We're fellowshipping. As God blesses me, I help someone who needs, and as, and as I'm in need, they help with me. But we're contributing. We're fellowshipping in the needs that we all have. Uh, and and not, notice he said needs, not wants. He said needs, not greeds. Not that you're letting people take advantage of you and things like that. 
So that, this is the thing. And then hospitality is another powerful word. It's a word that is, is, is kind of another word for love. It's the word philos plus the word xenos, which means stranger or alien or foreigner. Literally, it means love for strangers or love for foreigners. That's what hospitality means. So are we looking for opportunities to show this love to foreigners, to strangers, to people who may not know it? So we've got love inside the body of Christ the saints, and then we've got love to those who are outside, strangers, aliens, foreigners, right? Okay, um, so does this describe you? Are you contributing? Are you a contributor or a consumer? Some of us just have a consumer mentality. It's all about me, 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 and what I need, what I want. Another country song. I'm not going to go into it. Toby Keith just came to mind. Sorry about that. Wow. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? All right. See, the love of God insists on this. Look at this verse. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. John says, by this we know love. How do I know? He laid down his life for us. That's how I know God loves me. It's because of what he did. He just didn't talk it. It produced action. God's love is a noun, but it produces the verb, right? Okay. And he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for each other. Wow, now that's love. And then we're thinking about Memorial Day, about all the people that laid down their lives for our freedom. And he's talking about within the body of Christ even. And there were people who were being persecuted. Let me go on and read this. He says in verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, or it could be sister, in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's all talk, isn't it? No action. So it's really not there. Then verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's where it happens. That's why Paul is describing here what love does, not just what it says or what it is as a concept. This is what it looks like. This is what it does. So we're to show our love to everyone, our fellow saints, and look for opportunities to share. Literally, he's saying pursue opportunities to show hospitality. So there that is. Uh, and then the next verse, verse 14, because we have to keep moving here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Another description of this love is that this love is complementary to those who persecute you. Okay, this is a tough one. The word bless here actually means to speak well of, to build up and not tear down. Funny thing, we get our English word eulogy from the Greek word that's translated bless there. It means to speak well of. Uh, and, and, and it primarily uh, deals, when he's talking about persecution, uh, he's talking, bless those who persecute you uh, from the world, coming from those who don't believe, those who are still in darkness, and this is going to happen. It sh listen, it, it, it should not be happening from those within the body. Should not be. Sometimes it does, but it should not be. So this is kind of implied here, I believe. It's coming from those on the outside. Uh, because, listen, it's the cross that is an offense to those who reject Christ. That's what Paul said. Here's our problem. A lot of times, people never get to know the cross. People never get close enough to the cross to be offended by it because we jump in there and offend them first. You see what I'm saying? If a lot of people are offended 
by Christians. And they got the wrong idea because it's not that the cross or the gospel is an offense to them. We are the offense. And there are a lot of things we can get crossways on, but the first thing that I want to do before I get all into that is I want to get to the cross. I want you to know the good news. I want you to know the gospel. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know what Jesus did for you. And if that offends you, and this is the point of that is a lot of people, because that means if he did all that for me, that means I'm a sinner and I'm not okay by myself. There it is. Because pride wants to say, I don't need help. I don't need God. I don't want to bow to him. I want everybody to bow to me. I want this whole world. But you know how many people would be that way if they just had the opportunity? It's just built into us, that pride. I mean, it was even in the Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, this is the beginning of all this superhero stuff, really. Wasn't it? I mean, you had the old black and white Superman. Remember that on TV? No, you don't. Do you remember the old, old reruns? See, when I was a kid, they were reruns. I think we had color TV about the time I was born. I used to get so tickled at Superman. You know, the old black and white, the old original Superman. Anybody getting this? It was so funny because they would shoot guns at him. Pow, pow, pow. And he's a man of steel. The bullets are just like, pa-ching, pa-ching, pa-ching. And then the guy would click, click. And then he would throw his gun. And then Superman would duck. I didn't get that. But even on a Saturday morning, you remember the League of Justice and the Hall of Doom? Who, who, who remembers that? Okay, okay, very few of us, oh boy. But every one of those villains that was in any of those cartoons even, it would be like this whole thing of that evil laugh. And you know an evil laugh when you hear an evil laugh. It's not, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'll rule the world. <laughs> That's what they always want to do is rule the world. What are you going to do with the world? I don't want the world. The world's a mess. But they all want to rule the world. I don't want to bow before anybody. But see, that's built into us. That's pride. That's where the cross becomes an offense to people. And, and, and we, we, we never get them there sometimes, though, before we offend them. Some people might come to him. But when it comes to persecution here, I want you to know this. It's not regarded as a, as a possibility. Paul's pretty much presenting it as a probability. That is probably going to happen. He says later that all who live godly will suffer persecution. So, listen, if nobody where you work, nobody where you you go to school, nobody in your family is kind of down on you because of your, your living out this love, then they may not be seeing it. Okay, just thought I'd throw that in there. Might be. Paul talks about, or Peter talks about fiery trials that will come upon us in 1 Peter 4. So it's not a matter of if you are persecuted, it's a matter of when you are persecuted. And by the way, Paul can speak with experience on this, having been one who was one of the worst persecutors of the church and now has become one of the most persecuted. Isn't that something? Think about that. So yeah, he, when he talks about this, he can talk about it. He says, bless and don't curse them. All right, so that takes us finally to verse 15, where he says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Um, this is another description of this love. Not only is it complimentary to those who persecute you, instead of cursing them, you bless them, which takes the love of God, but it is compassionate toward the experience of others. We'll have compassion toward the experiences of others. Because he says, weep with those, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
I think it's a lot easier when this applies to our brothers and sisters. It's a lot easier to do that uh, than it is people who are living in darkness and don't understand. Uh, but um, but it, it, we're to, this is maybe one of the ways we connect in one of the first places that they see the real love of God that they've never seen. By the way, it can be easier to weep with someone than to rejoice with them. You ever notice that? Because sometimes we're rejoicing with them. Something good's happened to them, and we could get all caught up and being a little bit thinking, well, man, nothing like that's ever happened to me, you know? Uh, there, there, there comes in this whole thing of pride again. Um, and, uh, or, or, or sometimes we're, we're listen to this, we're, we're so caught up in our own sufferings and poor pitiful me that there's no way we can weep with someone else because we're just whining over ourselves all the time. Just some thoughts I'm throwing in there. We're just throwing it all in there today, right? So you're the one, it's up to you now to do something with it, okay? I'm just, and, and me too, me too. But the one reason this applies especially to us in the body of Christ, this especially applies with, among us. It especially applies that we rejoice with each other and weep with each other. Why? Because we're one body. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See? Weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. He's saying it another way right there. This is why. We're all part of one body. Okay? Okay? Right? When my big toe is smashed... My whole body weeps with it. If my big toe was honored as the most incredible big toe ever, which I think my toes look pretty good. You ever look at other people's feet? This is a time of year we see a lot of people's feet wearing sandals. I've noticed that other people's feet look weird. Other people's toes look strange, okay? But if my toe was honored as the greatest, my whole body would be happy, right? Okay, just... Crazy illustration. Got to move on to verse 16. You guys are holding me back here. I got to move. He says, he says in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Is that the same as hoity-toity? Okay. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Here it comes. Are you ready? This love is considerate of the opinions of others. It's not only compassionate, it's considerate. This is what this love does. I could never produce this. I've got to have his love flowing through me. There's acceptance in this. Live in harmony. The word means to find common ground. It literally means to be of the same mind. Consider what others think and, and think of others as you would yourself. And so try, try to do that. Now, if they're crazy or got some crazy ideas, he's not talking about that. But he's saying as much as you can, try to be together. Try to be in one mind together. Quit trying. And we live in a day where we try to find the slightest little thing we might be different on. And we maximize and focus on that. He's saying don't do that. You guys need to try to, this love tries to be considerate of opinions. People can think differently on some things. Ambition is involved in this. He deals with the matter of personal ambition. Don't be haughty. Don't be trying. See, here comes pride, right? I'm a little better. Always trying to one-up someone else. Always thinking you're better than someone else, right? And then association. We're to associate with the lowly or humble. Um, you know what? The gospel is the great equalizer, isn't it? Turning the whole social structure of society upside down. doesn't matter. We're all the same in Christ. Amen? It's a lot of what boy, you're saying. And then our attitude. Don't, don't be wise in your own opinions. He's talking about it in your own sight. Um, uh, he's talking about humbling yourself. Once again, pride comes into play. 
You know, you can be a moral, upright person who seems to be, you might on the outside seem to be godly, but inside you're eating up with pride and greed and selfishness, okay? So this is what, this is one way. It's considered the opinions of others. And then the last thing here. And let's just look through this, and this, we have to go quick. But this love is constrained in its reactions to evil. Verse 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It rejects the idea of repaying evil for evil. Someone cheats you, it doesn't give you the right to go before God, and, and it gives you no right to go before God and, 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 and cheat that person back. Payback is not for you. Well, doesn't the Bible say eye for eye? He's talking about the civil authority. That's not for you. Civil authority. That was given. You have to understand the way that the law was spelled out. Rejects the idea of repaying evil for evil. But when someone does evil and you do good, you know how powerful that is? Because you do evil right back, guess what? They're going to do more evil, then you do more, and, you, and it never ends. But when you do good, sometimes that stops it. Or it does something else that he's going to talk about. Let's move on. It reflects a desire for peace. This love does. Verse 18. So part of this is, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It, 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 as far as it depends with you. Let it not be your fault. It's not always possible, by the way. Right? But as much as it's on you, as far as it's considered you, do your best. It also refuses to seek revenge. Now this comes back to this. He said, don't avenge yourself. That's repaying evil for evil that he's already mentioned. That's cursing when they curse instead of blessing them, as he talked about uh, in uh, verse 14. He said, don't avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it or give place. Literally, it means make room for it. There's an article there before the word wrath in the Greek that meaning the wrath or talking about God's wrath. In our way of thinking, a lot of times, we never leave space for God to do anything because we think we got to take care of it ourselves. Or we think, well, I know God, He's forgiving and compassionate and full of grace. He's liable to just forgive them, and they're going to get by with this. As if I haven't been forgiven and gotten by with my sin, right? In other words, God, I know you've been gracious to me, but I don't want you to be gracious to them. What's wrong with us? Leave room for God to work. Um, and he said, in doing so, you know, if you're enemy, you understand vengeance, God said, is mine, I will repay. And God has his own way of working. And so if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And, and by doing that, is, it, that's not, <laughs> this is my way of getting even. <laughs> They're going to put those coals on their head. And, no, I think those coals is more symbolic of conviction. You're not doing it to make them madder, more mad, whatever. Maybe this is how something's different about you. And they, through the horrible time that you have to go through, see the love of God that may change their life, their eternity. That could be part of those coals. Oh, man. See, this is not our nature, is it? Before we wrap up, i got to tell you, little Johnny's mother ran into the bedroom. She heard him screaming. When she got into the bedroom, she found his two-year-old little sister pulling his hair. Well, she gently released the little girl's grip and said, 
comfortingly to Johnny. There, there, she didn't mean it. She didn't know, and she doesn't know that that hurts. Mom had no sooner left the room, and she heard the little girl scream. And she went back in and said, what happened? Little Johnny said, she knows now. (laughs) See, that's sometimes the way we react. That's the way we react. It refuses to seek revenge, and it responds with good when faced with evil. That's what this is all about. And do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. It's, and this is in the present passive imperative. And what that means is stop being conquered by evil, but drown the evil with good. Quit letting evil get you. What you want to do is drown evil with good. This is what the love of God can do. I can't do this on my own. I haven't got the strength. Only Him living through me. We must rely on the Lord as the source for this kind of love. Because it's not from us to flow through us and onto other people. And this right here, folks, is the miraculous sign that accompanies our message. This is what gives validity to it, that it is from God and there's something to this and it's supernatural. When we love like this, pray with me. Father.